Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the film Mamma Mia. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast, but it might help if you have seen it as we do discuss elements of the plot and there's a lot of bits about Pierce Brosnan singing that you probably won't get if you haven't. So if you do proceed without having seen the film, just be aware that the plot and content of Mamma Mia is likely to be spoiled for you. Enjoy. Hello. Guten Abend, mein Herr. I think that's the right word. Paddy Johnston. <laughs> Here we go again. My, my. Let's talk about movies. Especially jukebox musicals. Starring Pierce Brosnan. Why, why have we never done this before? <laughs> Oh, straight in with the songs. I mean, it's it had to be done in this episode, didn't it? Uh, yeah, it had to. I'm pleased you got the Pierce Brosnan reference in early as well. well he's it's much appreciated. He's the star of the show, obviously, of um, of Mamma Mia and of Our Hearts, of course. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong with Pierce Brosnan, can you? No, never. I he has not made a bad a bad film ever. By virtue of Pierce Brosnan being in the movie, it's automatically amazing. That's what yeah. I've heard. Case in point, GoldenEye. Oh, one of the Goldeneye. best and I think actually most underappreciated Bond films. Yeah, I'd agree. I think GoldenEye is maybe the best Bond movie. Um, like the new ones are very, very good and they're very dramatic, which is something a bit different. But as a pure action spectacle with a British spy, I don't think you can really beat Goldeneye. The new ones are very good, but there is a Heineken in every second frame because of product placement. <laughs> so, you know, it does kind of ruin it, but no offence to Heineken. I drink a Heineken every now and then, but, you know, I don't think Pierce Brosnan would stand for that. Yeah, it's it's interesting, actually. I was reading up on it at the time. There was lots of controversy about how much project placement there was in the most recent Bond films. And it's like another way that they like made the movies, effectively, is they never would have been able to afford it if they hadn't gone out and product placed the fuck out of them all. Yeah, it's because all the kids are pirating films and watching them on the Netflix now. It's It's Netflix's fault, basically. Fuck you, Netflix. Yeah, with your... Did good originals making all of the money and being good and stuff how dare you did you see that netflix is now worth 130 billion dollars really yeah wow um that puts it only um uh, only 20 billion dollars shy of disney that seems like an astronomical amount of money when you think about it yeah it's it's probably not true of its actual value um but you know how crazy people get on the stock market yeah it's one of those things like spotify where it's like actually it's not worth very much money or uber yeah U- in reality it's not worth a lot of money but it's actually worth a lot in terms of stock market wasn't uber the most 
um, overvalued company in the history of the stock market. Yes. Or something like that. Because, as you know, I'm a man who checks my stocks and shares on the train every day when I'm coming home from work. You know, it's my thing. I don't hide away the stocks app on my iPhone that you can't delete. I have it front and centre so that I can look at it all the time because I care about stocks, motherfucker. <laughs> You're reading the Financial Times every day. Yeah, the Financial Times actually has some really good commentary. But it's, yeah, I, it's, I draw it's the line legit. at the stocks app. <laughs> it's It's legit actually... Like, it's one of those areas of journalism where there's some genuine credibility. Yeah, like it was them who broke um, the story about the the pervert charity gala, whatever it was called, recently. Yeah, the the creepy old man charity gala. Yeah, the Grope Fest 2018 or whatever the fuck grimness it was. I mean, that's what I'm calling my birthday this year, <laughs> my 30th. <laughs> Where people people have to get a good grab of me at some point in the evening. It's obligatory. At some point, you are obligated to grope Rob. Yeah, it'll be like grandparents, aunts, uncles. You know, all, all your extended <laughs> your extended family all standing around. It'll be like, oh, goodbye, Rob. It was nice to see you. Come on, where's the grope? You haven't done it yet. <laughs> you can't get away. Yeah, you just offer them. Give my you, ear a little lick. You offer them a buttock, a single buttock. <laughs> Um, but yeah I I check the stocks app all the time yeah I mean who doesn't you know you've got to you've got to see how your stocks are doing yeah this is true I own shares in chicken land (laughs) (laughs) I do I do actually own some shares do you in Um, what yes in Lloyd's Um, of of course yeah they are gifted to employees. They've been gifted to employees the last couple of years because the company's been doing very well. That's and cool. it's had a big turn turnaround from like the shit heap that was the financial sector. Although Lloyd's was never really one of the companies that was responsible for the crash. They kind of took on a couple of uh, companies uh, that were vaguely dodgy. Yeah. Um, but started writing them, but it was a bit too late. Um, they took on TSB, which stands for Too Soon, Bob. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it was uh, HBOS, which is Bank of Scotland and Halifax. Um, and sounds like a forgotten Transformer. HBOS. <laughs> Optimus Prime is getting away. Unleash HBOS. Yeah, well, no, that is very, that's a good point because we went, when we went to get a joint savings account with Lloyd's, I wasn't with them, but then they were like, have you ever had an account with Halifax? I was like, yeah, I had got this Halifax account with nothing in it. They were like, cool, you're on our books. Let's do it. You're in. It was easy as pie. Yeah, it's like, I don't, I don't want to promote my company too much, but I think Lloyd's is pretty user friendly. Like their online banking apps are just really seamless, which is very nice. As banks go, they're not they're not too bad, you know. But if no, um, they're all right. If Hachette had had a share option, I would definitely go for it. But it's a privately owned company, so there's no employee shares or incentives or anything like that. Otherwise, I would. Yeah, Lloyd's Lloyd's does a good sort of um, share scheme, and yeah, I've I've got some shares in Lloyd's now, which is nice. Um, I don't really check on them though. They just kind of sit there. Oh, so one day you might wake up and suddenly you'll be a rich man and then you'll go off to do a podcast with, like, about rich people stuff, like (laughs) Tesla Motors or whatever. 
Yeah, welcome to TeslaCast. <laughs> but you... In this week's episode, we're talking about stupidly expensive cars. Yeah. You could just review them all. You'd be sort of somewhere between Jeremy Clarkson and Elon Musk. <laughs> Jeremy Musk. <laughs> that sounds really wrong. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Whereas Elon Clarkson sounds like a well, like a Bond villain, I guess. Which is what yeah. which is what Elon Musk obviously is. Yeah. Either that or like a side character in Ready Player One. Mm. I have been. You can imagine someone called Elon Clark. So. I've been meaning to read the book of Ready Player One before it comes out in the uh, in the cinemas, but I haven't gotten around to it yet. I've heard that the audiobook is very good and is read by Will Wheaton, but I listen to too oh, many really? podcasts. So I'm, when am I going to have time to get through sixteen to twenty hours of an audiobook? I'm five episodes behind on oh. all of my favorite podcasts, and the Baseball Tonight podcast comes out every day. So what's a, what's a guy to do? I mean, it is a difficult one. Um, the The only answer there is to listen to more podcasts to fill the void. This is true. Um, a podcast, I don't know if I've recommended it on here before, I might have done, but I, I absolutely love the Magnus Archives, which is this horror podcast. You have mentioned it before. And, yeah, and, and that's in its third season now, and it's so good. Like, I'm totally hooked on that. I like when a podcast has um, seasons. Like, when, um, when I go to upload our episodes in the Squarespace site... Thank you, Squarespace. Um, it's it has a field for season that I just leave blank because it's always season one for us. It's season one forever. This is our forty fourth episode, I think. So it's too late to really go into a season oh, wow. a season structure now. Although I guess we could maybe like end our romantic romantic theme and then do a new season, which would be like when we finally get around to doing dog films or something. Because there are so many. Oh, that's true. Yeah, we could do. Big boys don't cry because it's romantic, and then big boys don't cry because they're excited about a dog. Yeah, yeah. Big boys don't cry because they're scared. Um, yeah, there's there's potential. There, there. could be any reason. Alternatively, we can the big boys. We can cry. remain on season infinity for forever. Season infinity. That sounds like a science yes. science fiction film, a space opera. It's about people putting salt and pepper on food, but they're stuck in a time loop. <laughs> it's like Groundhog Day, but with condiments. Oh, mate. I'd watch that film. Condiment Day. It could be the sequel to Sensations, <laughs> where he finally opens his restaurant, but he gets stuck in a time loop. And so every day he has to cook the same food. And he's trying to work out how he can break the loop. Like, does he have to perfect the food? Does he have to give the best satisfaction to uh, the customers? Um, he's just trying to work out why. And then at the end, he realizes that he had to bring satisfaction to himself. <laughs> Groundhog guy. You know that. <laughs> oh, my God. Guy hog day. <laughs> well, joking aside, that's actually a plot of a film that I would totally watch. Maybe if it was a Netflix original. I don't know that I'd pay money to see that film in the cinema, but that seems like that could actually be a sort of really smart indie, someone needing to discover themselves kind of film. Yeah, I'd watch that, definitely. It could be not dissimilar to Waitress, but with more of a supernatural feel. Yeah. Yeah, like a, uh, a sous chef is unhappy with his life and he goes into the restaurant one day. But then he wakes up and it's the same day over again and he's got to work out how to break the loop. Yeah. 
I'd watch that. Hey, Netflix, give us some money. Give us your fucking money, Netflix. <laughs> we're, we're, we're already owed back royalties for the Royal Wedding Cinematic Universe and the, the yeah. crossover between um, Harry, Wills and Kate, the movie, and A Christmas Prince that I know you're working on. So give us your fucking money. You gave money to make A Christmas Prince. You can give us money to make awesome time loop movie. Yeah. What's it called? Sensation Guy Time Lord? I've, uh, season Infinity, season I think Infinity. it was. That's it. Yeah. It does sound like a Doctor Who episode. <laughs> not not that I've honestly ever sat through an episode of Doctor Who. Well, we could try and emulate Doctor Who by having it appear really clever at the first instance, but then have it completely fall apart as we slowly climb up our own arsehole <laughs> over the course of 90 minutes. And then just have like a half-hour sequence of David Tennant gurning at the end. Is he <laughs> is he still the good the doctor the doctor man? Oh no, it's a it's a, it's no, a woman it's... now. Yes, um, I'm, I'm happy was... about that because the prison planet types are not happy about that. So yeah, it it was Eccles cakes. Then it was Tenant Eccles cakes. Uh, then it was uh, Rubberface, wasn't it? After that, oh yeah, the the young rubbery boy who is now Prince <laughs> who is now Prince Philip <laughs> Rubber Boy. R- R- Rubber um, boy slash Prince Philip. Uh, then it was Capaldi. Oh yes, who did not drop the C bomb anywhere near as much as I wanted. <laughs> he didn't call anyone a fucking waste of skin. <laughs> <laughs> the word omnishambles was not used once. I don't think. Although, from the sound of it, you know, that could reasonably describe the show's plotting. Yes, he never forced anyone to eat cheese at any point over the course of the show. <laughs> um, these are all references to The Thick of It, by the way, um, which is one of the funniest TV shows ever. For our American listeners, um, if you haven't seen any of The Thick of It, I think it's all it's all on Netflix. Um, it's easily accessible online. Um, if, you're not, if you're not aware of the character of Malcolm Tucker, you've probably been hiding under a rock because he, he is memed quite a lot and has entered popular culture. But if you're... Um, if you're American and you haven't seen it, go and watch it because that is exactly what British culture and British politics is like. Well, it was what British politics was like, but now it's become somehow less incompetent, uh, less competent than it was. Yeah, that like I, I don't think they could make a the thick of it or in the loop anymore because everything has got that much stupider. No, and Armando Iannucci has kind of said that a number of times. He's, I think, yeah. he must be tired of talking about it even because people are going, "Oh, you kind of predicted this," or "This is a bit the thick of it, isn't it?" Like, oh, he's been hearing that for the past ten years, <laughs> and, and yeah, you just couldn't do it anymore because you can't satirize the level of stupidity that exists in our current politics. Or you can, but it's done with great difficulty. You can mock, yes, you can mock, of course. You know. It's like it's like trying to cleverly make fun of a clown. It's just impossible. Mm. Um that's that's the state of of British politics at the moment. It's um it's it almost is. enough to make you want to run away to a Greek island, <laughs> isn't it, Paddy? Yeah. Well, this is kind of um this is what what everything's going to be like after Brexit. It's just going to be a beautiful, fruitful, lovely island with subservient native people who you own and who do all the laundry and appear to back you up whenever you need them to back you up when you burst into song. And that's it, because that's glorious Britain. (laughs) Only, uh, yeah, imagine Mamma Mia, but it's just the songs of Radiohead. Oh, God. (laughs) 
Um, well, you know how um, Meryl Streep did the winner takes it all in one take. Did you know that? Yes. Yeah. Um, it, in that version, it would be her doing creep in one take. It's really like <laughs> operatic and looking at Pierce Brosnan while he's putting on a sad face and his kind of his desperate pleading with her to do something that you're not really even sure what he's pleading for. Yeah, she'd be singing creep. While her daughter rides I, away I, in, on a donkey. <laughs> <laughs> Pierce Brosnan doing Paranoid Android. <laughs> Paranoid Bronholm. Oh, man. Um, Netflix, if you're listening, Radiohead the Musical, <laughs> uh, give us money. It has to be done. I'm sure Tom York will be happy to have a musical made out of his music. Yeah, definitely. And for the soundtrack to then go up on Spotify, because he, I don't know if you've heard, but he really loves Spotify. It's his favourite. He does love Spotify. He's a huge fan. Um, he, he, he's really pleased that it makes him so much money. Um, it, it definitely isn't massively impacting on the artist's ability to make money out of the stuff they create. No. We're getting fat royalty checks from it all the time. Yeah, I mean, like, we just work day jobs to keep us grounded. Otherwise, we'd just be like rolling around in Spotify money all day. Yeah, we'd be we'd get we'd spend too much time in our Tesla motors and wouldn't have time to do the podcast. So you know, this is our way of you know just keeping it keeping it on the level. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, in all seriousness, though, we've made genuinely roughly five hundred times as much money from being played a few times in Maplin as we have from Spotify. This is our band, Palomino Club. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and how ridiculous is that, though, you know? Because we've got quite a lot of plays on Spotify. Oh, yeah, we're doing all right. Um, we, 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 we do okay. Um, but, yeah, we make a lot, lot, lot more money from shops Map, playing on Maplin music. Radio. That's my hot tip for, the, which for is, young bands now. Get on Maplin Radio. Which is sad, because Maplin Radio is no more. Is it not? Effectively. No, Maplin's gone bankrupt. For fuck's sake, I go to Maplin all the time. Yeah. Yeah, Maplin, Maplin's a really good shop. I was really sad when I heard about it. Like, um, Toys R Us UK has gone under as well, but I'm like, eh. I mean, like, Toys R Us was cool at Christmas, but it's not that relevant. You know what, though? Whereas, like, Maplin, Maplin was so cool. Like, you could go in there, like, if you just needed a random cable for something, they'd always have what you needed there. It was such a useful shop. Not only would they always have what you needed, but as soon as you walked in, there would be five fresh-faced young gentlemen ready to show you exactly where the cable was, whether you wanted you wanted to be left alone or not. And that therein, I think, is Maplin's downfall, that they had too many staff. Every time you go into Maplin, there's about five people. You okay, sir? Can I help you? Can I help you? Please, please, can I help you? Please, please. Fuck off. I know what headphones I want. <laughs> Like I've I've looked, I know the specific kind of cable I want. I know the cables are all over there. I can just go and buy it. Well, yeah, Maplin Maplin was undone by the likes of Amazon, really, wasn't it? Um, but it's it's a shame because it was such a useful shop, and if you needed something on the go, it was really handy to have a Maplin around. Yeah. Um, well, I bought a pair of headphones from one not two days ago. Have they like literally gone bankrupt in the last couple of days? Yeah, they've. Um, They've announced they're closing down all their stores, I think. Uh, I wonder who's going to take them over. Maybe Tesla Motors. They're all turning into charity shops, probably. Yeah. If I know Britain. Or they're turning into gambling shops. Oh, yeah. Betting shops. Slowly, Britain is turning into betting shops and charity shops. And that's all that's going to be left. 
Betting shops, fish and chip shops, charity shops. Oh, yeah, chicken cottage. Chicken cottage. <laughs> That's going to be the three things. Ch- chicken cottage. The great British institution of chicken cottage. None of that foreign muck. Yes. The British delicacy of fried chicken. <sighs> it's fucking... Ugh. I'm I'm really mad about Maplin. I've got to say, I'm, I'm, I'm very I'm really sad mad about, about that. It. It's my like go-to electrical stuff shop. I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah, yeah. When I read about it, I, I I read oh Maplin's in trouble, and then a couple of days later, it was hey Maplin's is uh, filed for administration. Man, this is like oh god. Where am I going to go if I need a memory card at short notice? Uh yeah. It's, yeah, sad times. And also it now means that we won't get paid, played in Maplin because Maplin won't exist. Yeah, that's the worst part, you know. It was the only shop where we were getting played on the radio. We're not even on Chicken Cottage Radio. <laughs> How do we get on Chicken Cottage Radio? I don't know. I, I suspect that Chicken Cottage probably actually just plays Capital FM. So we need to make songs that appeal to shouty old blokes like Dr. Fox. Is he still a thing? Oh, God, I don't know. Uh, but every time that Dr. Fox is mentioned, two things spring to mind. The first thing is when he was conned by Brass Eye <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. into saying on television that paedophiles have more in common genetically with crabs than with other people. <laughs> um, which was something special. Uh, the other is uh, on Monkey Dust, one of my favourite TV shows. Um, there's a very brief sketch where um, he's kidnapped and uh, he wakes up in a chair and uh, someone says, so what's your doctorate in? And he's like, oh, I prefer to think of myself as a professor of pop. Um, and he's he's forced to admit that he's not a, he's not a doctor. And the person who's kidnapped him basically just turns around and says, well, in that case, it means you're a fox. And then unleashes a load of hounds on him and he gets eaten. <laughs> well, I've just Googled Dr. Fox and the, the top result isn't even Dr. Fox himself. It's Dr. Fox Pharmacy, an online clinic launched in January 2010. And the, the top result on that is for erectile dysfunction. <sighs> well done. Well done, mate. Number two, Neil Fox. Well, 1961. Oh, he's not that old. I thought he was older than that. Oh, well. Yeah. He just feels like he's been around for a long time. Forever. Like most people in Britain. <laughs> Everyone here is old. Everybody is old, yeah. It's true. Oh, dear. Anyway, right. Yeah. Let's let's move on to our movie. Yeah, Meryl Streep. The... So that, that scene where she sings The Winner Takes It All. I love how... She's kind of bringing up the rear of the train of people going up a really epically long kind of stone staircase to the other side of the island where the chapel is. And she's obviously like falling behind. Like she would have, the time that she spent talking to Bronholm and singing that song, she'd have had to really, really run to catch up to, to her daughter at the church. But she makes it somehow. That's just one of the many kind of amazing gaping logical holes in Mamma Mia that are glossed over because it's a bit of cheap fun, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, cheap fun not being entirely accurate because this movie did cost $52 million to make. Wow, really? Yeah. But I mean, between the licensing, the wage, 
and I guess the, it, it, there's some good choreography in here as well. Oh, yeah. Um, between all of that, it's easy to see where the money went. But it, it's it's yeah, it's it it feels silly and tacky, but in the best possible way. Yeah, I think I'd say that's fair. I wonder how much of that fifty-two million went to went to Beard and Benny directly to pay for their um their sparkly cat suits or whatever. <laughs> I don't know how um how Abba feel about Mamma Mia. Well, Benny and Beard both appear in it. They have cameos. So you know when oh, do they? when they're singing Dancing Queen and they're on their way down to the um down to the beach and there's an old bloke at the piano the piano who just plays the ding 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 that's Benny and um did you did you watch the entirety of the credits and stay until after the credits Oh no was there a was there a Marvel-esque post-credit sequence <laughs> Yeah the Mamma Mia cinematic universe <laughs> um <laughs> No, there, there's a um a seat, a little like thing tacked onto the credits of them all dressed up as Greek gods, and Bjorn is a Greek god in the middle. So he's a sort of oh, okay. Santa-looking figure. Because um, because I know that one of them, I think it was Benny, wasn't particularly keen on them doing a Mamma Mia sequel. No, I'd imagine, and he was kind of fighting against it. Yeah, I'd imagine he probably didn't want to, but just sort of relented. Because it was ten years ago that Mamma Mia came out, and you know they're they're capitalising on the popularity of something that's kind of a bit of a has been now. But um, this, this sequel comes out this July, and I I will be going to see it because I'm actually quite interested in it. Because if I looked on Wikipedia and I looked at, th- I was thinking, well, how do you do a sequel? They've used most of the good songs, but there are others, and they're repeating some songs. But they're using a lot of ABBA like deep cuts songs that I don't even know, and I think that's actually a much more interesting way to approach a jukebox musical rather than going for the songs that people all know, actually trying to find ones that are perhaps more conducive to pulling together an interesting story. And that's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's an interesting choice to make because I thought the same thing when they announced it. It's like, oh, there's blatantly going to be lots of rehashes here or they're going to play like the really creepy sad ABBA songs. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, <laughs> some of the last stuff they did is really sort of like depressing. All the weepy ones. Um, yeah um and yeah so that's cool to know that they're gonna go for some weirder lesser known abba stuff in the sequel i want like a really intense pierce brosnan performance yeah something that where he's kind of is even more intense than his performance in the original mamma mia which is really just has to be seen or and heard to be believed (laughs) yeah can we can we do a little bit of pierce brosnan love here yeah of course um have you, he's had got, you seen he's, the Mamma Mia before this? Yes, yeah, cool. I've seen it many times before. So have I. But um, yeah, every the first every time Pierce Brosnan singing SOS just gets me. Like, it, it absolutely makes me howl with laughter. But I'm not laughing at him. It's like he knows it's a bit cheesy and a bit tongue-in-cheek, but he was like, I'm going to really, really look like I'm very constipated during this song because it's going to make me have genuinely really intense emotion, like the thunder on his face. It's it's unbelievable, but the, his his voice is so kind of gravelly as well. It's a, it's the it's the bit when she's on one side and he's on the other side of the wall, and he's like, she's like, when you're gone, and then he's like, when you're gone. Oh man, it's, <laughs> yeah. it <is> unbelievable. <laughs> when she's like, when you're gone, and he's just when you're gone, when you're gone. 
I, I often do that to Claire. Like, I, I'll just, if I'm on the other side of a door or something, I just pop my head around and go, when you go. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, yeah, he's he's great in this. Like, I know that lots of people who are excited about seeing this movie, like the people who were too excited about seeing this movie, were very, very angry with his performance and were really said it like ruined the film but i i can't imagine this film without pierce brosnan in it no for me it is the pinnacle of the film i genuinely can't think of anyone else who could have performed in that role because he does have genuine chemistry with meryl streep i wonder are there any other films where they've starred together i don't know actually um i know that he was very excited to be working with um with meryl streep yeah. Um, so it may well be that they'd never worked uh, together before. Well, who wouldn't be? Um, she's a fantastic actor. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, she's really good when she doesn't have to do an Italian accent. <laughs> yeah, say this say is that. True. <laughs> um, and and yeah, and, and they do have a genuinely great chemistry. But I think everybody in this film works incredibly well together. In terms of the casting decisions, they didn't always go with the best singers. Let's put it that way. Um, but in a movie like this, it's not just about ability to sing. It's about charisma and entertainment value. Mm. And that I think is the Um, reason that it's actually, it really works and does what it sets out to do, which is to provide a bit of cheap and cheerful, cheesy fun. If the, if the, if the songs were all really super polished and sort of Americanized and auto-tuned and that kind of thing, it would just feel too smug and too weird. You know, there's a sort of ramshackle, you know, there's a ra- the, they're on a ramshackle Greek island putting together a ramshackle wedding based on a ramshackle relationship, and it all it all works in that sense, doesn't it? Yeah, it it, it all works incredibly well together. There's a cohesion to the chaos of this film, um, where it's if it, it's the kind of they sing in a way that people would sing if they were singing ABBA karaoke. <laughs> Like and, the, and and like including this seventy-five-year-old Japanese man singing "Dancing Queen." <laughs> yeah, please put that in the show notes. I will. Um, it was the only thing I could think of when d- they started singing "Dancing Queen," and I had to I had to show Katie immediately because she'd, she'd never, never seen, seen it. it. Before. Uh, no, no. Well, well, I don't think it's a particularly well-known video. I think was it Alex Hawkins who first showed it? It to was. Us? Yes, I think it might have been. <laughs> um, and it's only it's only got about. 1500 views which are probably what? about a third of those are me that's outrageous um and and yeah it's, it's an amazing video absolutely amazing it says um in the description that he'd only discovered abba the week before <laughs> yes it's so good um and yeah so that, that that's going in the show notes please watch it it's it will make your day dear listener yeah um you're right and it's only and, got 1.4k views how, how yeah, the hell? Yeah, it's amazing. Okay, we need to get this video trending. It needs to go viral. Yeah, it needs to go viral now. It's eight eight um, years old. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, do you know what I mean? about It feels like a bunch of people who love ABBA songs just getting together and singing a load of ABBA songs and having a bit of fun. Which I think is was kind of the, how the stage show came about in the first place. The very, very popular stage show, which is, I was looking on the Wikipedia page for Jukebox Musicals uh, as research for this episode, because I do always do a lot of research and prep. And it said that, obviously, Mamma Mia was not the first Jukebox Musical, but it is credited with popularising the Jukebox Musical for the sort of late 90s, 
um, to now generation. And I think that a lot of the people who were angry at Pierce Brosnan's portrayal of that character had probably seen and enjoyed the stage show and found it difficult to get on with the film. But I hadn't seen the stage show, so for me it's all new. And I'm like, yeah, of course it's Brunholm. Couldn't be anyone else. Yeah, there's there's no getting around it. It makes it. Um, and he is like, he is the personification of the attitude behind the making of this movie. Um, not the best singer, although like there are some really good singing performances in this film. Meryl Streep's really good. Um, but like that's not the point. The point is the charisma, the chemistry, the fun, and like Pierce Brosnan. Every single time he's on screen, you're gonna get a smile on your face, and you're gonna enjoy it. Yeah, and and that's it's so good. Also, I'm just remembering when he he sort of quite aggressively proposes to Meryl Streep, and he goes like after um, Sophie Amanda Seyfried's character has decided she's not going to marry smug-faced Dominic Cooper after all. They're going to sail around the world instead. But there's a priest in a chapel there, so Bronholm's like, "Hey, Meryl Streep." You love me, and you know it. <laughs> it's so good, <laughs> and it's just the minor, the minor details in his performance as well. Like not even when he's the main attraction, you'll just see him dancing around, pouting like a loon he, in the background. And he's just like, "Yes, Pierce." He does some amazing dad dancing at one point. I can't remember what it was like. Is it in the background of the sort of stag group bit? Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, I think that might be it. Um, and there's another bit that made me absolutely... I hadn't clocked it until this time watching it again, even though I've seen it so many times. Because it's one of those films that's either on TV and you sort of watch it for a bit because there's nothing else on, or it's like a sort of comfort film, or it's just like, oh yeah, Mamma Mia, why not? It's a bit of cheerful fun. If you're, if you're looking for something lighthearted, it's always good. Um, but one bit I hadn't clocked until now is a bit when... The middle bit, when she has to have a moment with each of the three men who could be her dad, where she thinks, yes, this guy is my dad. Um, and the first one is with Pierce Brosnan. And it's sort of on the, the hen night, stag night, night before the wedding. She goes out to, like, on a ledge. Or he's, it's like an outdoor bit. And he's standing with his leg up on the wall, just, like, l- gazing out to sea. Like, who does that? <laughs> no, one's, no one stands like that. Like you're like how, how long you, was he that. stood there waiting for her? Come on, he's Pierce Brosnan. I think everyone at some point in their life has to go and stand by a wall, just doing a good pose and being like, "Yep, that's the sea." <laughs> but that is Pierce Brosnan's life. That is that is his uh, his like entire being. Well, he uh, he lives in Malibu, doesn't he? So yeah, yeah, he's got plenty he of opportunity. But yeah, that that pose. The, he's just standing there and just kind of like. I wonder how long he had to stand there for, like, while while they were preparing the shot and stuff, just staring at the sea. Yeah, I I love him in this film. He's so good. But like the the whole cast is great. Um, I think that uh, Stellan Skarsgård deserves a particular shout out. He's he's an underappreciated well. gem in this film. I think his role is small, and he's kind of the 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 he's perhaps downplayed in the in the potential dad stakes but he's his accent is interesting because i feel like they maybe tried to give him an accent and then just gave up and let him do his regular accent but there's also <laughs> the bit he says in the bit of the song where he says, he does the flower power bit that always really cracks me up for some reason <laughs> yeah and like i think more than anybody else in the movie you can just catch glimpses of him just having a load of fun 
um like like just beyond just the regular amount of fun they're having you can kind of tell that he's just having a real laugh um but yeah it's it's all it's all good you get to see his Um, bum unexpectedly as well it always (laughs) takes me by surprise it's one of those like kind of carry on cheap british bawdy humor bits but where he's like he's they're just talking um on his boat and he just gets up and turns around to walk into the kitchen and he's not wearing any any underpants yes and and uh there's a there's a great little story about that actually so uh uh here, here's his Stellan Skarsgård's own words on it we decided i should be cooking on the boat i thought i should have an apron on the director did not know I would be naked under there, and I have those butt tattoos. So when the camera rolled, I turned around right in front of it. The cameraman jumped and screamed, while Thylidia, who's the director, uh, keeled over laughing. Oh, so he he did it as a little troll, and they kept it in. He did he did it as a little joke, ah. and uh, they clearly thought it was it was worth it. He is awesome. I mean, I wish it had been Pierce Brosnan, obviously, but you can't have everything. I don't. I don't think I could handle um, Pierce Brosnan bum. It would, it would, it would immediately push the movie to an eighteen rating for sheer eroticism. Yeah, that's true. And very few films get the eighteen certificate these days. They do, but this this would cause it. Yeah, Mamma Mia two certificate eighteen. It's just Pierce Brosnan uh, just doing erotic poses for 90 minutes. Yeah, looking at the sea, nude, looking at his balls. Oh, man. I'd, I, I'd watch that film. Yeah. But- give us give us the X-rated <laughs> Mamma Mia 2. <laughs> 90 minutes of Brosnan. But all of the men in this film sing kind of aggressively. None of them sing sweetly, apart from possibly Colin Firth, when he gets the guitar out on the boat and starts singing and it does actually genuinely feel like quite a nostalgic little nice moment I can still recall that's actually it's, it's a little little touching moment but other than that all the men sing quite aggressively and it always cracks me up when um, Dominic Cooper starts singing Lay All Your Love On Me and he sort of puts on his serious face like I'm going to do the serious song now I wasn't jealous before we met <laughs> I, um, Dominic Cooper is one of those actors that I love and hate in equal measure. I'd say that's fair. Um, where I kind of love him, but also he makes me so mad when he's on screen. And it's partly because he's always playing awful, awful characters. Um, and I don't know how much of that is just down to him deliberately choosing those roles. Bloody hell, he's, um, he's nearly, he's 40 this year. He is 40 this year, he yeah. Me. He looks good on it. He's a young boy. In my, he does, in my mind, yeah. he's still a young boy. A young lad. Um, he was, of course, in Warcraft, the beginning. Really? Um, which is a movie that I've still yet to see, but he's like one of the main characters in the Warcraft movie. Um, and uh, but, but my favourite Dominic Cooper performance is he, he's done more than one video game movie. He was also in the Need for Speed film. Oh, really? Um, which is legitimately amazing. Um, anyone who tells you otherwise is a liar need for speed is a great action movie it's just stupid car chase for two hours with absolute melodrama thrown into the mix um and dominic cooper is super evil race car driver and it's it's so good and he's just a really evil nasty rich guy who uh 
who who likes driving fast cars. But it, it's a really fun movie. And you know, like in that movie, you're just like, oh, I hate you, Dominic Cooper. But at the same time, you're like, I kind of love you, Dominic Cooper. Yeah. I actually saw him in the original production of Alan Bennett's The History Boys at the, the National Theatre when he was definitely a young boy. That was good. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. It was him, Corden, Richard Griffiths. It was an all-star cast. Apart from James Corden, of course. Well, yeah. We didn't know what he Pull was going to thing down. We didn't know what he was going to become. <laughs> Jab of the heart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, though, Dominic Cooper's character in Mamma Mia is called Sky. So yeah. And again, it's like, why is is, I, is that better or worse than Dodge? Uh, I think Sky is better because there's no like metaphor behind it apart from it's just a hippie name yeah they could have just called him james or something but yeah it's it's just supposed to be that actual just added element of just a slightly silliness that tinges everything in this film you're just like all right yeah it's called sky whatever yep that's all good he, he's he's there he's getting married in a miami vice uh suit <laughs> that's, fair that's play <laughs> Yeah, and he doesn't actually have that much screen time. Although his Wikipedia page does say in 2008 he appeared as Sky in Mamma Mia in which he sang several songs. But he, he's only like the lead guy on one song, isn't he? Yeah, he's the lead guy on um, Lay All Your Love On Me, which is great. I love it. It's it's a really good kind of yeah. high point, actually, when he, he does his kind of smug, hilarious verse. She does a bit of her sort of slightly sexy pouty singing at him, and then all the men folk come out of the sea and carry him away. And that that bit always really cracks me up as well. And they're they're like stomping around in their flippers. That yeah, that is when hilarious. they're all going down the Absolutely pier in their hilarious. flippers, it's so funny. Yeah, yeah, it's such a great moment, and and I I love that that song. Yeah, we in particular, we used I think to that's cover my it. favorite ABBA song. We did, yeah. It always went down incredibly well as well. Yeah. It was um, it was really really good fun. It's it's a tune, and again, I think a, an underappreciated ABBA song. People don't think of it in the same uh, the same breath as Dancing Queen or Super Trooper or Waterloo. But I think it's yeah, it's up there. It's one of the best. And you don't think of it as being one that suits a large number of people singing it. But when all the blokes are singing it on the jetty, you're like, yeah, let's howl along. This is great. Yeah, it it works really well, and in, uh, in an unexpected way. Um, what is your favourite ABBA song then, Pads? I don't know. It's it's quite a tough one. That's definitely up there. I um I really like Honey Honey actually, which is the first song that they sing. It's when it's just her with her two girlfriends at the beginning, and she's like, "I invited my three dads to my wedding," and then the, she's talking about her relationship. That but that's quite a good and underappreciated ABBA song. Um, money, money, money is very very good. Um, and SOS is definitely up there because of Bronholm. I'll see. Every time oh, I listen yeah. to it, I think of I think of Bronholm. But yeah, I think Leo Love on Me might be up there actually. Yeah, I think I think that is probably my favourite. Um I also really like Gimme Gimme Gimme. And Fernando, obviously. And um The Winner Takes It All is is a beast. It's gotta be said. Yeah. Although in um in this film, I really, really like Does Your Mother Know? Because they they put a really really funny spin on it, but the original is a bit of a pedo anthem, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's definitely true. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's quite creepy. 
in in real life um but in the movie it works quite well they they used that song very well they turn it on its head and it's fun and her performance is out of this world christine boranski have you did you ever see that show the good wife no no i didn't she was on that show it was one of those shows where claire watched all nine seasons of it or whatever and i was sort of in and out of the room for roughly half of it so i'd sometimes be around like and watch a bit of it and watch a few episodes and then i'd not watch any for a whole season and then i'd come back and be like oh who's this guy why is she doing that and then she'd have to fill me in on like the whole last season where i i i like the show but i will never invest in something that's nine seasons long because i have too many other podcasts to listen to but um (laughs) she she was one of the leads on that show and she's really really great in that and she's currently starring in the spin-off of it which is called the good fight which i have not seen but cool okay she's very very good i think and very very good and underrated actor her performance in this is very very good as well yeah she's amazing in this she's like she's up there with brosnan in terms of on-screen charisma yeah and again like everything she does is perfect um and like also her singing performances are top notch as well yeah i'd have liked her and brosnan to get together but maybe that'll happen in the sequel oh what the marriage to (laughs) meryl street falls apart and they end up together i can get behind that i think they make a good pairing yeah definitely and they could they could dance to some abba deep cuts oh man they could have a a son called fernando They could go off to the Isle of Fernando. Oh, God. <laughs> With Paddy McGuinness. Have we ever talked about that show on here before? Well, um, Take Me Out. We must have done. But have, have we talked about Take Me Out? <laughs> you love it, don't you? Yeah, I do. I kind <laughs> it's of, your favourite show. I, I kind of love it. I just... I, yeah, uh, it's, it's my number one favourite show of all time. It's such a brilliantly vulgar show. Like, if, you, if you're a little bit drunk but you've, you're at home on a Saturday night and there's nothing else on and it comes on, you're like, all right, why not? Let's watch a bunch of women superficially judge a man as he comes down in the love lift, you know? It's it's great. Paddy McGuinness pops up, says, let the thing that's like a cock see the thing that looks like a vagina. Everyone laughs. <laughs> you know? What more do you want from Saturday night television? It's, it's true. It's like, they try to sort of like do something similar with that naked attraction show um where for people who haven't seen it i don't know if it's a thing in america um where uh basically someone is looking for a handsome partner and then there's these four four people is it behind glass something like that Um, i've never watched it and and like they slowly raise a barrier so you see more of their naked body and they have to vote people off based on various parts of their anatomy um, before they even say a word to them or before they even see their face. And in what order so like, does the anatomy appear to them? Uh, from feet up. Okay. So you see penis before you see face. So, you get- um, so there's always a very there's a difficult choice where they have to be like, okay, we'll go with this penis over that penis. So feet, legs, knees, peen. Or does it, does it go from behind? Or, or is it only front on? Well, I think I've only watched it a couple of times, but I think it was just front on. Right. So no, no bum. Might have a good, good peen, but a terrible bum. Yeah, I'm gonna have a. I'm gonna have to do a little search <laughs> for this because I don't want to. I don't want to mislead our listeners. But when I watched it, it was. You're gonna yeah. have to Google um, naked attraction. <laughs> yes.
Yeah, okay. So, um, yeah, it's a British dating game show. So I guess it's not made it to America. Um, That's probably a in which good to, thing. In which a clothed person selects two contestants from six naked people whose bodies and then faces are revealed in stages from the feet up. The person deciding then appears nude to select one of them on a fully clothed date. So afterwards, it's not that one person looks at six naked people and then they're like, I choose that one. They then have to get naked themselves right. and then go, I choose that one. Right. Okay. Um, unsurprisingly, it's a very much complained about show. <laughs> um, there was lots of complaints about it. I, I wonder why. Yes, I wonder why. Was it because um, it did not have Paddy McGuinness in it? I think that's the main problem. Um, it's yeah, it's not Paddy McGuinness. Um, it's uh, Anna Richardson. Okay, I'm vaguely aware of her, but I couldn't tell you. Yeah, she she did like um, Secret Eaters. I don't know if you watched that at Secret all. Secret Eaters is this a documentary about me? <laughs> it was another. Um, ridiculous Channel 4 TV show where um, basically there's people who go on the show who are overweight and they say oh but we've been eating this really good diet and I don't understand how we're not losing weight and basically um, they've, they installed a load of secret cameras in their house um, and followed them around when they went to work and then are just filming them when they have snacks oh. and, then, and then they reveal to them they go to like a, a lunch at a cafe and then they'll sit down and then a wall will turn around and, and Anna Richardson will be there with her team of, of private eyes oh. and be like, you're a secret eater. And then like, they show them footage of like the husband coming down at one o'clock in the morning and eating five donuts in a row before going up to bed again. Oh. It's like, that's why you're still fat. That sounds like that's basically just fat shaming the show. <laughs> yes, it's really horrible. Fat shaming um, the musical. I yeah, and and it's like it's it's vaguely what well, it's 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 quite funny because often there are people who like claim, oh, I eat really well, and I don't know how this is happening, and like they they are either in full denial or they're lying and they think they can get away with it. Um, and then there, there's always that really awkward reveal where they're literally watching as they eat their third sausage roll in a row. Yeah. Um. And and it's got that kind of same sense of like watching something awful and just not being able to turn away. Um, Channel Channel Four is full of these kind of shows <laughs> really where is. you kind of hate yourself afterwards. It's not. It's really good. Not much. Not a patch on the Secret Millionaire, obviously. No, no. But you only just tune in for the reveal, don't you? You don't sit through fifty minutes of someone like working in a factory and pretending to be to be like a a regular person, and then showing up at the end and going, "Actually, I'm a millionaire. Here's your money," and then they all cry. That's that's good TV. Yeah, yeah. That, that's slightly nicer. Yeah. Uh, then, then you're fat, and here's why you're fat. I saw you in the KFC, lol. Yes. Or um, I'm choosing you based on the fact that I like your chest. <laughs> oh wait, you've got a really ugly face. I'm going for the other guy. Yeah. And I haven't seen either of your bums, so neither yes. decision is informed. Well, that's the thing. Is like bum is important. Like I'm quite proud of my bum, and when my bum's not. <laughs> in shape i'm like oh no i hate this i've got to get my bum back in shape how do you know when it's not do you do you have a, a weekly mirror session with your... i i constantly am looking at myself in the mirror du you got your double um, mirror set up yeah i've got a mirror in front mirror behind checking out my ass doing some little bum exercises 
doing the the Pierce Brosnan dad dance. Yes, exactly. Um, but yeah, how did we get onto this again? I have no idea. It started with <laughs> oh. the Isle of Fernando's. Yes, the Isle of Fernando. Um, so yeah, if if you're American and you've not watched it, um, Take Me Out is basically 50 women. There's a guy who then has to do various things to try and impress them. And then they can say they can press a buzzer and be like, "No, I don't want to go on a date with you." So, ho- um, and, and then, then hopefully, eventually, it's narrowed down to about five or six women who are interested in this man who's been sort of humiliated on video and had to do some sort of strange challenges, and who've decided that he's not so ugly that they're immediately turned off, which happens quite a lot. Like immediately when the man comes down in the love lift, at least half of the women immediately say no, which I feel is just so cruel. Yeah, you'll very rarely get someone who has all the lights still on. Yeah, uh, when they come down the love lift. But still, um, the man gets to make the choice at the end if there are multiple women left. So if there are like five or six women left at the end, he gets to choose the one that he wants to date. Yes, um, and then yeah, so the tables are turned, and then they go off on a holiday together to the Isle of Fernando's, and then you get to see to in next Isle week's episode all the the fun that they got up to, aka just awkwardly chatting to each other over cocktails and then some texts will come up being like yeah they they didn't get together in the end back to this week's show (laughs) (laughs) and then they'll show the bonus show like take me out behind the scenes or whatever where they'll show more details about their time away on holiday and it'll just be like yeah they really didn't like each other and they're not going to see each other again it's really depressing boring yeah (laughs) show me the love lift (laughs) show me rejection that's what i want from my television on a saturday night. if it doesn't have the love lift i don't want to (laughs) know and and that is the one thing that would improve um mamma mia there's no love lift there's a lack of a love lift which is really disappointing considering the the general rickety nature of the island they actually could probably really use a love lift in there somewhere yeah yeah It, it would improve matters somewhat so I'm just I'm looking on the Wikipedia page for the um, the sequel. I don't I don't want to spoil it too much. But there's some some interesting interesting stuff in here. There's some new characters. There's a guy called Fernando, played by Andy Garcia, and then you got Cher as Ruby Sheridan, Donna's mother, and Sophie's grandmother. Oh yes, yeah, I saw that from the trailer. Yeah, that we've got some. Uh... Some some sharing because it's all about um, young young Meryl Streep played by Lily James, who I think is quite good. She was in the live action Cinderella, which was quite an interesting take on the uh, the Disney the Disney film. Yeah, no, that was good actually. I enjoyed that. And she played the the lovely lady in Baby Driver. She was very good in that. Um, yeah, I like I like Lily James. I think she's a good actress. I don't know if she can sing, but it doesn't really matter, does it? <laughs> well, I I don't know if she did her own singing in in um, in Cinderella, but the the performance in that was certainly much better than uh, Emma Watson's Emma Watson Emma Watson in, in Beauty uh, and the Beast. In Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. But, where that was auto-tuned to all hell and you could still tell that it wasn't a very good performance. But that's because Whereas she was... with Lily James, it felt star- much more authentic. Yeah, but she was starring alongside Luke Evans, so it was always going to be weak. <laughs> yeah, if, you're up against, if Luke Evans is in it and he's singing, then, you know, you're never going to be able to, to live up to that, are you? No. 
No one's big like Bronholm. <laughs> That's true, actually. Um, he's the only other person I could consider for Gaston as well, is Pierce Brosnan. He would have done an amazing job. Yeah. He'd have, he'd have got Hench for it as well. Although, actually, have you seen a picture of Pierce Brosnan recently? Because he's got like a huge grey moustache and he looks awesome. Google <laughs> Pierce Brosnan 2018. Okay, he might be do doing this. it for a film, but he looks awesome. Well, I think he's he's in some period stuff at the moment. Oh, uh, okay. That I think he's sense. filming some period stuff, so he probably needs the big moustache. Yeah. He's finally, after all these years, he's finally starting to get grandfatherly, and I'm I'm here for it. Ah, oh, he looks amazing. So let's see, what else do we have to talk about in Mamma Mia? Um, okay, so when it opens, they it doesn't really it takes a while to get to the first big musical number, which is quite interesting because it's almost like quite cheekily building up the tension, isn't it? You've got they're doing like little snippets of songs like "I Have a Dream" and "Honey, Honey" and stuff thrown in with a little bit of as you know bob telling the plot to each other stuff which is all fine and then about sort of 20 minutes in or so it gets to money 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 and that's the first big number and actually you could have you could have just started there couldn't you yeah i mean it there is i don't know that it does feel that you're right that they're kind of like doing a little build up at the beginning and it's like do we really need this? Yeah. <laughs> Can you not just throw a song at us immediately? It's filler. And I feel like maybe that actually comes just from it being adapted from a stage show. Because it's it ends up being about an hour and 50. And, you know, no one, I think, would complain if it was an hour and 40 if you didn't lose any song content, really. But, you know, if it's, if it's a little cheeky build-up, it's fine. You're not, really, you're not really watching the clock, are you? No, you're still you're still fully on board even when it's just people pottering around an island. Yeah. And the all the kind of exposition opening stuff is so utterly forgettable that it's it's new to me every time, even though I've seen this film about 20 times. I've always forget, oh yeah, she's got those two friends at the beginning who don't really appear again. <laughs> and yeah, they never turn up again, do they? No. It's so funny. Just like, oh, okay, you occasionally see them in the background and I think they're there as the bridesmaids at the wedding. And that's about it. Yeah. And then... Um, there's a really great bit halfway through Money, Money, Money where it's like suddenly she's on a cruise ship and that's um, that always really, really makes me laugh as well. Like suddenly gets in this fantasy cruise ship sequence and there's no other real fantasy sequences in the film. But there's that there and it feels incongruous but in a hilarious way. Oh yeah, no, that's great. Where um, And then there's like the little cutaway, like dream sequence of being at Vegas yeah. as well. And there's this like weird ship captain guy who doesn't appear in any other scenes. It's so good. It's, yeah. Um, yeah, I, and I think that really sets the tone really well, where you're like, oh, this is the kind of movie we're watching. Yeah, this is going to be silly. It's going to be ridiculous, and that's it. And now she's going to dance on the roof, which would definitely collapse if it had that many people on it. But mamma mia, here we go again, you know. And once the songs start, they just keep on coming. That's what's, that's what's great about the pace. They do a bunch of exposition, a bunch of songs, a few cheap jokes, that's it. There you go. And yeah, the the pace of it, yeah, just the songs just once you're in, you're in. You're like, "Oh, here we are at SOS already." Well, wow, okay. Yeah, it's it's just one hit after another after that with a, a bit of vague plot in between. Um but it just it just works so well. It's just like, "All oh, right. 
I'm on it. Although um, the bit in in Dancing Queen where they um, it's like she suddenly starts involving everyone in the island and they all just start joining in and then incongruously and then they have this big dance. That's like the epitome of why like people who say that they hate musicals. That's the kind of thing why they're like, oh, that would never that would never happen. And that feels like the kind of absolute peak musical almost isn't it people just incongruously joining in and bursting into stock and it's like just it's gleeful and then they all jump in the sea because why not yes yeah it's like i mean i don't know whether it would be a good or bad thing to live on an island where people would occasionally break into choreographed musical numbers if if you weren't in on it and you didn't weren't able to include yourself in that activity like you're just going down you're you're it's like lunchtime you're off to get some souvlaki and then all of a sudden you're like hello i'd like some delicious chicken please uh i'm sorry but in one minute's time we've got to start a choreographed musical number so i'm afraid i won't be able to serve you for a while yet. yeah just like no oh, for god's sake like, and you're there come on i'm just i'm i've got to gut this fish come on <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, and yeah, so I don't know. I, I think it would probably have greater benefits, but maybe not like if there's lots of late night musical numbers. It might be quite difficult to sleep. Yeah, they'd have to time them. If you got a schedule, it'd be fine. Yeah, yeah, you'd need to like have a lot of coordination in order to then make those coordinated dance numbers even happen. This is true. It go, maybe it goes up on a board in the centre of the village in the morning. Today's numbers, Fernando... Lay all your love, Waterloo, and then it's like okay, fine. We know what we're doing. Oh yeah, and th- and then like here's what props you'll need. You'll need your flippers, or you'll need a broom. <laughs> yeah, all of you, all the men folk are to come down and wear the flippers and dance on the jetty. Although I, I have to ask you a very very important question, which is where was the flipper dance at my stag? <laughs> That's true. Actually, we should have. Uh... Yeah, we should have gone out in some flippers. Yeah, although that means that if you ever get married, we have we have some material, we have a precedent. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I I demand that uh, if I ever get married, you book out a Greek island and we do a little flipper dance, or just like off the end of Brighton Pier. Yeah, yeah, that might be all I can afford. <laughs> we'll just we'll just go to go to Brighton Pier and go on the terrible roller coaster. Although if um... in flippers. If Take Me Out isn't on anymore, maybe the Isle of Fernando's has fallen into disrepair and it'll be quite cheap. Maybe we could buy it. Oh, that's true, yeah. Oh, that's a, that's actually a really good idea. Maybe we could just, like, off-season go to Fernando. It's like, you're in between seasons, Take Me Out. You need people to go to Fernando. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Google the Isle of Fernando's top result. Is the Isle of Fernando's real? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And then there's, there's an article. One month ago, the actual location of Take Me Out's Isle of Fernando's has been revealed. <laughs> Apparently, it's not a real island. It turns out no, it's not. <laughs> that Paddy McGuinness sits on the throne of lies. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember because I, I was like, oh, I wonder where the, you know, quotation marks Isle of Fernando's actually is and I did have a look at it I did have a look before but I can't remember exactly where it was apparently it's just a spa oh no it's in Tenerife Tenerife's oh yeah Tenerife that's fair so we can't buy the Isle of Fernando's Brighton Pier well you say that but 
I mean, I imagine it probably wouldn't cost too much to hire a group of mercenaries to take Tenerife. This is true. And make it our own. We could um, get some... Well, as the kind of British colonial spirit is very much in at the moment, we could probably just get a few of the gammon blokes to come with us. They've all got their, their <laughs> fighting fighting wartime spirit, blitz spirit, you know. Or the, the what, and then, veneration of and, Churchill, and, you know. And then when they fail and they're just sitting sweatily on the beaches, it will be so unpopular for everybody else that we can then just come in and take Tenerife for ourselves. Yeah, they'll, they'll clear the place and then out. kick the gammon out. <laughs> then kick the gammon out. Yeah. Um, speaking of angry gammon, um, did you see that uh, there's been suggestions that America wants to uh, make it easier to get things like Cornish pasties made outside of Cornwall? I did see that, yes. I knew that was guaranteed to, to rile the gammon. But yeah, and and like this was obviously going to happen when they decided, you know what, let's open closer trade relations with America instead of uh, Europe. Yeah, be like, because America has much more lax quality control for their food. Yeah, um, and stuff like that. And so they want to then import American Scotch whiskey <laughs> or American Cornish pasties and that kind of stuff. It'll be cheaper than um, having them come from Cornwall. Presumably, yes, because 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 they're made with sawdust and lies, <laughs> um, and uh, and yeah, this is this has riled up the gammon something amazing. So all of these people who have been staunchly pro Brexit have turned around and said, "Oh wait, this probably isn't a good idea. I want my Cornish pasty to be yeah. made in Cornwall." But they don't want to trade with America. They only want to trade with themselves because all they want is pasties and pork pies. But you can't That's do true. that. That's not how it works. Um, but I, I do find it funny that a lot of them have been jumping into bed very much with uh, Donald Trump and suggesting that like trade with America is a really good idea at the moment when it's like, well, hold on a sec. Isn't the entire American setup to put America first? You know, that's kind of his slogan. Um, the slogan that he stole from white supremacist groups. <laughs> yeah. Who started um, over here, interestingly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's like, Hmm, you really think that this person's going to give us a better deal than the people that we've been trading with closer for a very, very long time. Are you sure about that? Um, and yes, it turns out that if they do this, it might not work out as well as they hoped, which is what the rest of us were saying from day one, but you know, never mind. Yeah. Poor old gammon. Must be hard being a gammon. It, it must be difficult. I mean, like... You're angry all the time. What do you reckon? You have to read the Daily Mail. What do you reckon the gammon make of Mamma Mia? Uh, I think they're probably angry. Um, I was probably angry because before it's... Brexit. <laughs> uh, but now I see everything as a sovereignty threat. <laughs> Um, and and yeah, so it's a bit. I, I'm in two minds because a it shows the greatness of a bunch of English people taking over a foreign land. Yeah, they really they really what, conquer the island, which is what the Brexiteers really love. Um, but it, yeah, the, then the there, winner takes there, it there is, Then, but then there is the second side of it is in a foreign land. Mm, um, this is true. And it's by songs by a foreign band. Oh, God, yeah. 
It's incredibly um, foreign. Yeah, so I don't know. I'm not sure whether they entirely lot, approve of Mamma Mia. A lot of American actors in it as well, aren't there? Yeah, it's true. Um, With their pasty-stealing, non-trade-dealing ways. <laughs> and there, and there's sort of like a vague message of, of women being able to do things. Yeah, that's true. Which What's really good about Mamma Mia, actually, is that it shows women having fun and women letting their hair down and, you know, just having a great time. It's a, it's just very it's a very very positive message in that way, and I bet the Gavin don't stand it, don't stand for it. Yeah, yeah, I bet they're furious about that as well. Um, and yeah, it, it's true actually. One of the really good things about this movie is that, like, in a lot of these kind of films, um, you get the kind of exasperated female characters, but in this, everyone is just having a load of fun. Yeah. There's a little um, bit of frustration really nice. between her and Bronholm and kind of it's my daughter's wedding and all this kind of stuff. But there's never any, there isn't much exasperation, actually. That's a good, that's a very good point. It almost feels like a sort of hen night good vibe, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's kind of like, that's a really good way to think about the film as a whole. Is it is kind of like, it's a permanent hen and stag do. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that's it. it. It is just... Well, like I said at the beginning, it's drunken karaoke. Yeah, um, and it and it's it's perfect as it is. It's the movie equivalent of Hen Night Karaoke, and it doesn't try to be anything else. It doesn't try too hard. I mean, you always think with the kind of jukebox musical thing, that, like attaching a flimsy story to a bunch of songs like that just to to have a bit of fun shouldn't work, but it does. Although I I can't think of others. There must be others where it completely fails, but I can't think of any at the moment. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't um I don't pay too much attention to um to a lot of these kind of musicals. It's only the ones that seem fun. Yeah, and very few of them have actually been made into films as well. Yeah, it's true. Um and like I'm not paying a lot of money to go and see these in on stage. You know, I I'd, um, I'd go and see it if if I was given a ticket maybe, but we went to see the Jersey Boys a few years ago, and that was good. But that's a like kind of biopic style one, isn't it? It's just a whole different thing. Though there is a film of that that Clint Eastwood made, isn't there? Oh, really? Yeah. He cried in the rain throughout the, the making of it. <laughs> just permanently, when he was behind the camera, he demanded that someone just have a watering can over him, just pouring over his head at all times whilst he sobbed. Oh, I've heard it's actually quite um, quite gritty. Oh, okay. Yeah. I yeah, I've not seen it actually. I didn't realize there was a film of it. Yeah. It's all right. Hmm. This the Wikipedia's list of jukebox musical films is actually pretty flimsy. Cuz I don't feel that there are many that are the same category as Mamma Mia where they've taken a bunch of songs from a band and tried to just throw together a fun stupid film around them. A lot of them are things that came together in a different way like the Blues Brothers or um sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club band or whatever like it's actually still a kind of relatively unparalleled category by mamma mia which means that i really really need to get on writing my jukebox musical film based on the songs of weezer oh there we go or even just the album pinkerton yeah that would go quite well and then i'll i'll write the follow-up based on hurley (laughs) (laughs) oh see the thing is hurley's opening song memories even though it's quite weak would lend itself quite well to the jukebox musical. Oh, there we go. 
It's all falling into place, Paddy. Memories make me want to go back there, back there. See, it's, this, this shit writes itself. And then, yeah, so you've got your lead actor wearing like a grey wig. Like they're reminiscing. It's like Titanic. <laughs> they're there with their with their necklace. And then it fades back to... Although, actually, yeah, if you made a full-on Weezer one... You do that as the opener, and then it goes straight to Buddy Holly. Ah, uh, nice. And you've got that jump back in time. Yeah, this is this is going to work, Paddy. We need to we need to we need to get on this. Yep, I'm definitely going to do it. But I also want to change hash pipe to vape pipe, and for there to be like a <laughs> douchey antagonist bro who vapes. So- I got my vape pipe. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. That has to happen, because that seems like a kind of antagonist introductory number, doesn't it? It does, yeah. It's got that whole vibe. Um, yeah, this could this could work. This could definitely work. Let's do it. Let's do it. This is good. I mean, it's going to be better than We Will Rock You, right? Yeah. We will, I did go and see We Will Rock You in the theatre, and it was all right. But that's also, yeah, I think they've tried to make films of that and never succeeded. Because, again, it's a very, very flimsy kind of jokey dystopia storyline, which I think is harder to pull off than just a hen night on an island. Yeah. Um, I'm just reading up on it now, and they said that Ben Elton had written a full script with a grittier storyline. Oh. And I'm like, hmm, okay. Um, yeah, I've, I, I heard that, I've heard really mixed things about We Will Rock You, that, like, a lot of people I know don't like it but then i've heard other people say that it's really good yeah um but like i don't know i uh, i'm kind of skeptical of it in a way that i'm not skeptical of mamma mia no there's there's nothing to be skeptical about in mamma mia it's it's a laugh but yeah so it would be interesting to see more of these kind of and i'm surprised that there weren't more jukebox musical films that appeared after how successful mamma mia was yeah I I was too actually. I think we all expected 2008 to be a real watershed moment, but then the financial crisis happened. That might actually have something to do with it because, as you say, um, it cost 52 million. Did you say to make? Yeah, and that is actually quite high budget for this kind of film and the kind of returns it could expect to make. So I don't know. Maybe they were just deemed too expensive. It's quite hard to do film all the singing stuff isn't it it's a bit of a pain in the ass and getting all the rights and stuff and buying Bjord and Benny their cat suits you know it's it's not easy yeah it must be I don't know I think like you'd have thought it would be more of a it would be an easier sell than like making a straight up new idea because you at least have that core um that sort of like core fan base to call to yeah but yeah, maybe they just thought, you know what, let's release another Transformers movie. <laughs> Dark of the Moon. Um, and I'm, ju- I'm just looking at some other jukebox musicals here. So Rock of Ages was the next really big one. Oh, yeah. Um, which was a massive bomb, I think. I think that really failed mm. at the box office, didn't it? Yes. I think it was, it was critically panned. Shame, because Paul Giamatti's in it. And uh, yeah, I can't. I can't think of any other big ones. No, it's always a gamble. But 
again, the, the reason that we arrived at this is because I mentioned on last week's show that um, I'd heard people talking about The Greatest Showman, which I've not seen. I don't think I'm going to go and see it, but it is kind of... Um, there's a bit of a watershed moment, I think, in popular culture and film at the moment with musicals, and more and more films are including bigger musical numbers. I mean, apparently, I haven't seen The Shape of Water either, but apparently there's a big musical number in that, even though it's not really a musical. And I think it has a lot to do with shows like Hamilton, for example, um, coming out with just really, really amazing music and amazing stories that are um, people can easily access the music as well. So people who are going to see The Greatest Showman in the cinema already know the songs, for example. And even that wouldn't have been possible in the Mamma Mia era because, you know, Spotify and that existed, but it wasn't the same thing. It wasn't the kind of same culture of readily accessible music. And I think that from now we're going to see a bit more of this stuff in film and stuff in the future. So hopefully Mamma Mia 2 doesn't then end up looking stale compared to the rest of what comes after. Yeah, I think hopefully, yeah, you're right about Mamma Mia 2, that it doesn't feel kind of like a relic. Um, Because I think there's some real potential there for it to be a really fun, entertaining film. Yeah. But yeah, there is that that worry. It's like, oh, is it going to feel completely out of place now? Nah, I think it'll be fine. But I, I do think we're we're in an interesting moment in terms of the use of music and musical tropes in cinema. Have you been to see The Shape of Water? No, no. I we missed it. It only came to our local cinema very briefly, and we were both. I know it sounds like we're old people, but like on one of the days when it came home, I was like, oh, I could go see this, or I could just sit down. <laughs> <laughs> And not leave the house again tonight and then go to bed early. And it came up being the latter. Sorry, I thought you were going to um, add but... something to that. <laughs> no, that was pretty much it. I could I just could sit, sit down. down. I would sit down. And then not have to leave ever again until the morning. Um, and yeah, and that ended up winning in the end. So we didn't get to see it in the cinema. Um, so it is going to be a... It's a shame we're not going to see it in the cinema unless they do a re-release based on its Oscar performance. Which could happen. Cause it, Which could happen. It yeah. won all of the Oscars, right? Apart from obviously, did, yeah. Gary Oldman won one for for portraying Churchill in Darkest Hour because Churchill, you won. Yeah, well, yeah, it's so it's so boring. It's like, oh, you're going to portray a historical person in a biopic. Oh, here's your Oscar. Yeah, well done. You put on a fat suit. <laughs> I've no intention of seeing Darkest Hour or Dunkirk. Too- Dun- Dunkirk is actually really interesting. Um, cinematography wise, it's fantastic. From a sound design perspective, it's really oppressive, but in a way that's different from like Darren Aronofsky's oh, kind of oppression. That's what it's like. <laughs> um, it really sort of gets into your bones, the sound design of, of Dunkirk, and it's one of the most tense films I've seen. Oh, I, um, haven't, I almost... haven't heard that from many people. It's almost dialogue free. And what I really like about it is that it's like the antithesis of Darkest Hour in that it purely focuses on the people actually involved, not the fat racist genocidal maniac <laughs> who kind of made it happen. Right. Um, yeah. Re- read up on Churchill, people. He was a nasty man. He was a war criminal. Um, Let's make yeah, no, bone, he was a real, no bones about it. He was a, he was a real nasty piece of work. Um, he just happened to not be a Nazi. If it wasn't for that, then he would not be remembered anywhere near as fondly. Yeah. 
Um, so that and that's exactly why I have no no intention of ever seeing Darkest Hour or any film that venerates him because that kind of very very misplaced veneration and nationalism leads us to the Brexit omni shambles that we're stuck in the middle of right now. Yeah, I think like I, I've I've had some very interesting discussions with people about how I think we should teach um, the British Empire in schools and. I think it would be a good idea because people need to read and learn more about what the impacts of empire were because it's kind of glossed over in history classes. Very much so, yeah. Um, we, we don't really learn a lot about our own nation's history and our own nation's place in the world apart from we had an empire once. We were once really strong. Oh, look, we fought the Nazis and we beat them. And that's pretty much the extent of it on like that surface level. I mean, that genuinely um, really is it. And um, and and even like I studied history through to um, A level, and even then, so kind of like the focus of the history shifted um, more towards like American history and things like that, which is very interesting to learn more about that side of things. Um, but it still feels like that's a missed opportunity to look more at the impact that Britain had in the world instead of just looking at the facts of saying we had an empire. Oh, don't look at it too closely. You might not like what you see. Yeah. Or just going like, actually, maybe colonialism is bad. And that doesn't mean that you growing up as a British person today have to feel bad about it yourself on an individual level. But you have to understand that there is a level of complexity to how you approach that and that you can't take pride in that. You have to acknowledge that that was a terrible thing and to think about how you move on from that in the future, culturally and politically, rather than stuffing your head up your ass and being a gammon. Yeah, and I and I think that it certain nations like quite bluntly look at their own past and the atrocities they've committed in their past. Other nations don't. And like there's nowhere that this is more true of looking at the way that Germany has treated its history of World War Two and looking at how Japan has treated its history at World War Two. Whereas now there's a real problem in Japan with denialists of what of the war crimes that Japan committed over the course of World War II. And it's this real issue is that the people who were alive then are slowly dying. There's no living history of what happened in World War II anymore. It's slowly disappearing. There are very few people alive in Japan who now were there, and even and an even smaller percentage of those people actually will be willing to talk about it. Yeah, and, and so it's led to this problem where there, there's this slowly growing movement of people who are refusing to accept what Japan did. Um, and there's not really that same issue in Germany. And that's partly because they've been so open about admitting what they did, um, much more so than other nations have when they have committed atrocities. Yeah, very much I so. I mean, you look at how there's still a debate over the Armenian genocide, mm. for instance, to learn about how not not accepting responsibility for awful things committed can lead to enduring horrors for centuries afterwards for for decades afterwards um and so it's really important to actually learn about these things it is and you know if we, i think if we learned about all these things a bit more we wouldn't have to endure another fucking film about churchill yeah i mean who the fuck needs a film about churchill boring i'd much rather go see the shape of water it looks awesome I mean, like, I'd rather I'd rather watch fish loving 
than fat man in suit I, smoking a cigar. <laughs> Someone on Twitter described it as grinding Nemo. Which I <laughs> yes, I saw that. I was like, well done. That Round of applause. Very good. Hats off to that person. What else? I've seen but, but, basically none of the Oscar films these days, apart from Coco, which won Best Animated Feature, which I have seen and which I very much enjoyed. So that's probably deserved, although I haven't seen any of the others. And I feel like the kind of the Pixar type ones always tend to win in that category. So it might be nicer if it was a non-Pixar type one. I mean, I was holding out hope for the Boss Baby to win everything. <laughs> oh, the, was the Boss Baby nominated? I don't know if it was nominated for something, wasn't it? Jesus. Um, but yeah, I I was um, yeah I was pleased to see Get Out win. Um, that was great. I've heard good things about that. Well, apparently, the Boss Baby is based on a very very enjoyable and funny picture book for children. The nuance of which is very much lost in the film adaptation. It was it was nominated for best animated feature film. Oh blimey! It was. Um, I, I mean, it could have been worse. It could have been the Emoji Movie. <laughs> this is true. We should watch that at some point. Is there? I mean, there's got to be a romantic subplot in there, mustn't? Yeah, there? isn't it about the heart emoji and the poo emoji getting it on? <laughs> oh man, I, I have no interest in ever getting anywhere near that film. <laughs> Would you rather watch that or The Boss Baby? I'd probably rather watch The Boss Baby. Okay, would you rather watch The Emoji Movie once in the cinema or The Bridges of Madison County five times at home on a loop? I'd rather watch The Bridges of Madison County because then you're not around. Because it wouldn't be a cinema of other people who have been forced to go and watch it you would be surrounded by the people who paid to go and see the emoji movie this is true um which i think that that's worth 20 bridges of madison counties on my own yeah good point well would you rather um, watch the emoji movie on your own or the bridges of madison county in a cinema full of old men <sighs> you know probably eastwood-esque old men Probably I'd rather watch the Emoji movie on my own. <laughs> this shows how much I care for the, the for other people being around me. How much I care for other people. Yeah. No, I'd rather be on my own watching the Emoji movie because at least then I can just have a screaming match at the um, at the TV when it gets that bad. That's true. But the, the cinema experience makes a big difference, doesn't it? I, uh, as this ties into what I said last week and this week about how people are going to see The Greatest Showman and they're all singing along and they're doing like sing-along versions with the words on the screen and stuff. I wonder if they do that for Mamma Mia as well. They must have done. I think they must have done, yeah. I think I think there was a big presence of that kind of thing um, back in the day. Yeah. And I feel like it's it's on the up. So that's good. That can only be a good thing. And in terms of romance, Mamma Mia does well, you know. Bronholm and Meryl Streep get together, so what more could you want? It's perfect. Yeah, exactly. That's the perfect love story right there. Yeah. So how how are we going to rate this? Do you, unless uh, you have how any, many, any How trivia? many Eurovision wins do you have? <gasps> Ooh. Unless before we do that, do you have any trivia or anything else you'd like to add? I think we covered it. I think we covered everything, yeah. Yeah. Um, I would have won the Eurovision Song Contest, I'm going to say, 14 times. 
Very good. Very good. Nice high score. As you know, yeah, it's it's high enough to reflect the fact that there's nothing really wrong with it or there's no reason at all to hate on it, but it's not a triumph of cinema in any way either. You know, it's just a bit of lighthearted, cheap, cheerful and enjoyable, silly fun. It's, you know, as as you said, it's the, the film, the cinematic equivalent of Hen Night Karaoke. And I'm all for that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's, it's great. And like, there's nothing, there's nothing here that's trying to latch onto you at an emotional level. It's just here, sing some songs, enjoy us singing some songs, have a dance, have some wine, go to a Greek island and get married. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go for uh, 15, 15 Eurovision wins you, under my belt. It's just one-upping me. Just one-upping you. I really enjoy this movie. And I don't care who knows it. It's really good fun. If you can't watch Mamma Mia and enjoy it on some level, um, keep watching it until you do. Well, if if you if you haven't, if you can't enjoy it, then I doubt you'd get this far into one of our podcasts. But no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. All right. So what's next? Uh, well, I've been giving it some thought, and I've decided that we've had far too much fun in the last couple of episodes. I can't argue and it's with time that. that we lived it's time for us to live up to our podcast name um so next week we will be talking about never let me go oh jesus christ (laughs) (laughs) no it it is very good i've seen it a couple of times i think but yeah it's excellent that's a good that's a good bit of a tone bit of a tonal shift here we have talked about it quite a lot haven't we yeah so let's let's get on it properly it was quite a good lull between this and the uh, Nicolas Cage film that will follow the week after, as promised. <laughs> yes, we've got some Nick Cage action on the go, don't we? Yeah. Never let me cage. <laughs> oh, cool. Well, no, I'll, I will very much look forward to that. I I think that's it for me. Do you have anything else to add? I don't have any, any correspondence or anything this time. No, I think that's it for me as well. Tell us how much you enjoy Mamma Mia and what your favourite ABBA songs are. Always love to hear from you. Bigboysdon'tcrypodcast at gmail.com. Twitter at bigboysdon'tpod. Please do leave us a rating if you like what we do on iTunes. It really does help. Um, as as always, you know, give a little bit of something back for all the all the time that, and effort that we go to to entertain you. It'd be very much appreciated. And if you don't like what we do, why are you still listening? Yeah, you've dedicated a lot of time <laughs> to listening to us talk about movies um, to reach this point. Yeah. But no, thanks for tuning in. We do appreciate it. And we'll be back next week to talk about Never Let Me Go. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.